you're in the United States researching how to combat cancer so that you can go back and help sufferers in your country. One day, you see a professor and mentor holding a yoga mat. When you find out why she's holding it, a light bulb goes off. And today, you are helping to improve health in your country. What's the connection? You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. Seeing all the people in our alumni community and the great miles they are crossing and the ambition that uh, drives them, I know that we're going to be in a better place because a lot of people are taking on small personal initiatives and turning it into really beautiful things. It makes me really ambitious and optimistic to see everyone around us uh, trying to make a small difference one step at a time. This week, inspiration in the form of a yoga mat, better health through better understanding, and creating a true community of care. Join us on a journey from Lebanon to Washington, D.C., and helping people one pink step at a time. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them, they are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is Natalie Nasser Aldin. I'm from Lebanon, and I was uh, a Fulbright Foreign Student Scholar in 2014, and I came to Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., um, and did my master's degree in cancer research. When I was only 15, I came to the U.S. on the YES scholarship, and I happened to go to Hawaii, and from my looks, I kind of blended in. So I didn't feel like foreign until I spoke my first word, and they're like, oh, you have an accent, where do you come from? And then we tell them we're from Lebanon, and then... And when I came to Georgetown, uh, I also lived in in a townhouse with six other internationals who who were going to Georgetown or GW, and I also didn't feel foreign because it was just... uh, a blend of a lot of uh, nice people from different countries. But when you go back home, <laughs> you feel a bit foreign in your own country. There are things that you take for granted back home and then you come back and you're like, I, I don't want them anymore or these don't make sense to me per se for my professional career or my new beliefs. So you feel a little bit as a new person, whether back home or in your new host community. I'm a new blend of uh, a new person. The minute I arrived in D.C., my roommate helped me settle in, and then we went to Walmart, and I had to copy the key in a vending machine, and that was fascinating. I'm like, this this country, they do everything for you. Like, seriously, everything is ready, everything is nice. And then we went, and uh, the zip car, I think, was the first first happening in 2014 or before then and then he just swiped his car and picked up a car on this off the streets and I'm like oh I'm telling my family like you can get everything like it's an easier lifestyle 
Um, so these small things, when you come here, you're like, oh, well, these are nice. They make your life easier. I wish we have them back home. These were two moments uh, I laughed at myself for doing them at the beginning when I came here. When you do well, when you excel uh, in your class and then they know that you come from that country and you're an open-minded person and you work really hard, you really feel proud that you're reflecting the best image of your country. So as I said before, I'm now more of a blend of <laughs> so many things. I lived in Egypt for a while, I lived in Lebanon uh, for almost 15 years and then since I was 15 I started traveling back and forth between the US and Egypt. I feel more related as an Arab person, as a Lebanese person and then now it more becomes like, oh, as a person from the scientific community. So as you become more focused in your career now, I don't really, when I go to certain meetings, uh, it's more of, oh, I'm in the cancer research field or in the cell and molecular biology field. You start belonging to like smaller and smaller uh, focused groups. I assumed that it's, the curriculum was going to be a bit harder, which um, was in case uh, it was a challenge. I still did a lot, like really well in my classes, but at the same time, you have to put much more effort because now you're sharing a classroom with a lot of people. The majority of them speak English as the their native language. The other thing that was really fascinating and it helped me a lot uh, was knowing that uh, at Georgetown University, for instance, they treated you as a graduate student, uh, as a colleague. So the professors and the PhD students and the master's students, they were all treated equally. Back home, you might have more hierarchical systems. So you feel always, even though um, sometimes you enter a PhD program or a master's program, they treat you like a student. Uh, but in the US, I felt more like they treat you as a colleague and um, at a higher level, which was really very nice and very enriching. We had to study a lot, we had to be in the lab a lot, but we could rotate in the clinics or uh, observe surgeries, which was really nice. So I did that, but once I got back home, I, I started my own NGO because of something that I learned at Georgetown, uh, which was in one of the lectures in cancer epidemiology. Uh, Professor Firth came in and she had her yoga mat with her and she told us about the link between uh, stress, uh, exercise and cancer. And then she told us that she had her um, fitness clinic for cancer survivors, people at risk and people who are going through cancer now, patients. And she said besides giving them the treatment regimen or uh, surgery or anything, she sent them home with a tailored exercise class for each patient. That was really uh, amazing for me. I thought she, she was doing great work and as soon as I came back home I applied for the Fulbright Community Action Grant and I got it and I started my uh, own exercise health support group for breast cancer survivors in Lebanon. It's called Pink Steps and ever since I've been focused on my PhD studies and my support group as well for the past four years. We've crossed a lot of miles so far together.
I came back, I applied for my PhD program. I had three months before I, I wanted to start. And when I was still at Georgetown, uh, my first cousin, who was only 31, got diagnosed with invasive breast cancer. And as I went back, I was sitting with her through her chemo sessions and um, she really needed a change. So I and then we received the email about the community action grant and I just linked everything together. Professor Firth with my, my cousin. I'm a Zumba instructor as well. So I love sports and dancing and I'm doing breast cancer research. So I just wanted to combine all of them together. And uh, I remember I went and set up meetings with all kinds of NGOs in Lebanon when I was pitching my idea. I, I got a lot of support, which was really amazing. And they told me that this is a great idea. This is a new idea. It, it hasn't happened in Lebanon before. So I didn't know the the weight, the big weight of the movement before I started it. I thought it's going to be something small just for us, a small community. So I started it. Uh, I'm so grateful for the Fulbright for funding uh, the Community Action Grant and for believing in it because I, they also showed me that it's a good idea and I started it. We started with few women and now we're increasing in number. It's the first ever of its kind in Lebanon because no one thinks of uh, patients and exercise that can go together because usually patients should just stay at home and not move and eat more, if anything. Everyone was on board. They were supportive. I started the Pink Steps. And after four years, uh, we got invited by the Lebanese Ministry of Public Health, uh, and we had our booth, informational booth, at the, in October for Pinktober. And we assembled our own booth with the survivors. It was informational booth, and we won the first place, and it was the National Breast Cancer Awareness Campaign for, for this year. We got introduced to all other NGOs. They know about us. They refer people to us now, which is nice. Also, uh, one of the Fulbrighters uh, actually told me that her mom got breast cancer and when she was, and she unfortunately passed away. And she, when she was going through her notes, she saw that she has written on her book, Pink Steps, and she wrote my name and my phone number. And she intended to join our group and um, she didn't have the time to. So this was something really, really, really big to me to just know that even survivors have heard about it and they are willing uh, to do this positive change in their lives and join such a movement. So I think it's, it's really successful. It's great. I'm glad I started it right when I got back home because I had all this energy and inertia and time and I wanted to do everything possible to make it happen. I would really love to see it in every Arab country, at least. It's very simple. It just takes a group of people to be dedicated to walk and do exercise together, share healthy lifestyles together, go into marathons, go on hikes, walk. It really doesn't take any money. Like at the beginning, you needed to start and get the pedometers and all these things, but we've been sustaining it for four years without any extra money. It would be great to get more funding, to expand it to other countries, to register it as an official NGO, to get more donations and all these things. But uh, as far as we're doing really great and we're just going to keep on doing it. And I really dream for it to be in every at least Arab country, if not in every country. <laughs> people 
people here in general are more open because they are more exposed uh, and there might be more awareness. And in Lebanon, when you go to more like refugee women or uh, women with lower socioeconomical background, they might have a different experience because they haven't heard of it or they don't have the means or a good insurance plan to sponsor it. So then they don't want to talk about it because it doesn't. they don't want to have it as a burden. And uh, even till now, a lot of people still say um, that disease. They don't even say cancer. They can't even say it because they're afraid to say it because it's just still a taboo. It's scary. They don't know that some of them are treatable and curable. Some of them are preventative. Uh, and there are really nice NGOs that are breaking these taboos in Lebanon. So there is one called Amaluna, which means Our Hope, uh, which is directed by my uh, PhD co-advisor. And they go into schools and they start educating uh, females and students about cancer research, about cancer prevention and about all these things. So it doesn't stay as a taboo and people start talking about it more openly and trying to prevent it. When you know more about it, you're less afraid of it. For Lebanese people, because uh, they've lived a lot through wars and uh, the country is a bit limiting in terms of funding. For instance, like we don't have really easy student loans. A Lebanese person could only even go to a public university or try to find a scholarship or just stay at home. And by being here, you see that um, you get more opportunities as a high school student or university student. You're more uh, uninhibited. Like you can, you can be ambitious and dream bigger. That's what you see sometimes uh, because you, you can find a way to do it. And sometimes Lebanese people just think, like I talk even sometimes to uh, distant relatives and I tell them, why don't you apply to this? And they're like, oh, I don't have good grades. They're, I might not be accepted, but I tell them you have a good profile on another aspect. Why don't you have this self-confidence and self-worth? Like they kind of might be a bit more closed on themselves or they don't know the chances or their self-worth and they don't explore it that much uh, in Lebanon and you see it more here people are on average more confident and if, if they have something they know they've got a strong qualification and then they apply even though if they know they might not get accepted in Lebanon it's the opposite they might not apply because they know oh they're just gonna take one person there's no way I'm gonna be that person so that's the different mentality between uh, the American people and the younger generation and our generation. So that I would really love for the Lebanese people to just know that everything is possible if you keep on working on it. Here, the patient care system in the US, you have an entire team, pharmacists, doctors, nurses, social workers, uh, NGOs, everyone, like it's, it's more of a team that the patient needs from A to Z and they are there to take care of the patient. It's not just one man show for the oncologist or the surgeon to, to provide that and then leave the patient alone because also when uh, I hear stories from the Pink Steps ladies, a lot of them, they had successful surgeries, but the complications or the side effects, they weren't even aware of them. They're, their doctors didn't tell them, like, you're going to taste iron. Uh, it's normal if you taste it or if your uh, nails peel or something happens and they just go home and they don't know what to expect. 
and you need to have and, and that's becoming really much better uh, in Lebanon you have some NGOs now that are uh, at the hospitals present and they are giving these support which are also survivors themselves and they are walking the patients through the process and being there for them 24-7 to communicate these uh, changes and expectations we have a lot of uh, really good medical institutions and top institutions in Lebanon of course we're still limited with the funding so we can't be as um, comprehensive and uh, big as in the U.S., but that's something really amazing that I found it here is that there's a team that's ready to answer every single question uh, for the patient here. For cancer research in specific, of course, you get all these uh, stereotypical questions from people once they know you're doing cancer research. Is there this magical drug that is hidden and pharmaceutical companies are not releasing it, blah, blah, blah. And the most important thing to educate everyone is that cancer is a collection of hundreds of diseases and everyone responds differently to a certain drug. And the really good news is that everything in research now is going into tailored personalized medicine and to trying to find the genetic makeup of every cancer cell of the, of the patient, him or herself, and trying to find the combination of drugs that works perfectly on this person better than the other and try to avoid resistance or complications. There are, of course, certain tumors that are untreatable and uncurable so far. There are a lot of efforts that are happening to try like pancreatic cancer and other uh, kinds of really invasive tumors and metastatic tumors. But for as far because since I'm focused more on breast cancer, it's a bit more hopeful, I, I, I hope to say. And especially when we tailor, uh, look at biomarkers for, for early detection and prediction and prevention. People are starting to, to get aware that they have to lead a healthy lifestyle, to exercise, to stop smoking, to stress a little less, hopefully. <laughs> So recently got accepted as the only Lebanese student from AUB to participate at the 68th Lindau Nobel Laureate meeting, where I spent a full week with 40 Nobel Laureates in physiology and medicine and 600 young scientists from 84 different countries. And I think just having a really rich portfolio from the previous State Department scholarships, the YES, the MAPI, Tomorrow's Leaders, Fulbright, which led to Pink Steps, which led to my PhD program, which led it's more of a domino effect that you keep on getting more achievements, you, you keep on getting more engaged. You also have a responsibility after you're a Fulbrighter to keep on the legacy and to keep on doing more. Because even the Fulbright, it's, it's, uh, it's a responsibility for you. So you want to go back home and show them that they invested in the right person.
when you travel and you get a really great chance to be at a very nice institution, reputable institution. And I was uh, saying before that everyone here knows what Fulbright means. And back home, they also know what Fulbright means. You gain respect, credibility just by being a Fulbright alumnus or alumna. Of course, I'm who I am today because of a lot of different steps uh, that have helped me throughout the Fulbright uh, program. Twenty-two-thirty-three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name is Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty-two-thirty-three is named for Title Twenty-two, Chapter Thirty-three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Natalie Nasser Aldine talked about her experiences researching cancer as a Fulbright Scholar at Georgetown University, and also about Pink Steps, her NGO in Lebanon. For more about Fulbright and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233 and leave us a nice review while you're at it. You can do so wherever you find your podcasts. And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks to Natalie for sharing her inspiring story with us. Ana Maria Sinatine did the interview and I edited this segment. Featured music was Green 2, River Becomes the Landless by How the Night Came, and Neil Takes Two by Blue Dot Sessions. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.